According to a 2017 article on Babbel.com, Queens, New York holds the Guinness World Record for most ethnically diverse urban area on the planet. And it's also the most linguistically diverse, with at least 138 languages spoken throughout the borough. It is also a fact that many kings and queens of the entertainment industry have emerged from this storied borough. One of the most talented queens from Queens is Kira Devine. Kira is a reflection of the potpourri of accents, music genres, cuisines, and cultures that she was raised among. In Queens, Kira learned how to be kind, how to teach, how to love, how to be patient, how to believe, and how to work hard. Kira left her college not only with her degree, but having founded what is today one of that institution's most important student organizations. Years of dance training led to her teaching at the prestigious Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater in Harlem, New York. However, she was not done. She then went on to appear in Broadway productions, music videos, and films. She is the definition of a triple threat. Her dancing ability led her to work with Beyonce. Her singing ability has seen her sing back up for Lauren Hill, and her acting ability got her into a film with Cuba Gooding Jr. Kira Devine is certainly all things that her name suggests. Divine. Kira, who is currently the lead vocalist of Australia's dance music sensation Panau, is challenging herself once again by producing her own solo music project. If the sky is the limit, my bet is that Kira Devine will stretch her hands past it. This is the story, thus far, of Kira Devine. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. She is a singer, dancer, actor, choreographer, songwriter. The list goes on. Kira Devine, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you so much, Crispin, and thank you for having me. I'm very, very appreciative and happy and excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Trust me. (laughs) So tell me, what do you remember about growing up in Queens? Oh, so much. I am just very lucky... The neighborhood that I grew up in, it's called Cambria Heights, and it's on the border of Long Island, Elmont, New York. Shout mm-hmm. out to everyone from that area. You know what I'm talking about. If you're from Queens Village, Laurelton, St. Albans, Hollis, Elmont, <laughs> Elmont, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. What I remember most about that community is that it was a diverse Caribbean community. On my block alone, my neighbor to my left is Panamanian. The neighbors across the street were from Trinidad. The neighbors next to them across the street were Haitian and so on and so forth. So my entire community was a cross section of the Caribbean. And so that lent a lot to who I am today because my village was made up of many Caribbean backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So I bet walking down the street, every house had its own scent at dinner time. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, the thing is, it, it is a predominantly Haitian community, but there's everyone is from many different Caribbean places. But you found the common thread that our parents pretty much disciplined us the same way. We all had to be in the house at certain times and, you know, do certain things that were very similar from culture to culture. Right. So that was also cool growing up and having that experience. The music and the food on that block, I can imagine. Oh, our block parties were lit. Oh, my goodness. Because we had all the cultures. Even we had a Grenadian family down the block. So, yeah, we had everything. Everybody, sauce, pepper pot, grill, sauce pie, Haitian food. We had everything, okay? Wow, wow. <laughs> and all the compa reggae and soca in the background. All the DJs playing all the music, you know, so it was always been an all encompassing community. And that's a lot of what has made me who I am today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Now, it seems like dance was a part of your existence from the from the very beginning. Were you always mm -hmm. in love with it? Like, was it something that your parents put you in? So, oh, okay, let me go ahead, go ahead and do this. Or was it something you kind of really wanted to do from the time you were uh, a, a small child? Well... I literally, my dad is a DJ, and so are my brothers now. So that music helps. was always playing in my house, and I was always winding up. Specifically, one time, my dad was playing Nani Wine, Nani Wine. <laughs> he was filming me on his camera, and I was about four years old. And my, my dad's like, you got to put this girl in. You got to put this girl in something. And that was the birth of putting me in dance school because I would always be dancing and winding up the place. And just, it was always in me. So before I could even say I want to do it, my parents saw the talent in me. And thank God, you know, they gave me an opportunity to explore it. So I'm grateful to them. Right. So tell us, and, and thankfully you were in a place where you could you could explore it. Yes. Tell us about your early training in dance and the arts in general. Yes. So my early training. So, of course, I told you about my community being a cross-section of the Caribbean. So the first dance schools that I ever went to in my neighborhood were very attended by many Caribbean people. And so my, some of my first teachers were women, very influential women in my life of the Caribbean diaspora. Um, namely, two people I want to bring up, Petra Brathwaite, who is of Guyanese and Barbadian ancestry. That last and name. She, yes, Brathwaite. <laughs> and she was the first teacher that I ever saw dancing to Caribbean music and doing folklore dance. And she called it ethnic. That was just the name of the class, but it was Tosoka music. So one of the first dances I learned was to the song, Girl, you ain't nothing but a teaser. Oh, actually, before that, it was Worky from Antigua. Yeah, from Bur Flames. Burning Flames. Yes, honey, okay. <laughs> oh, that woman around, she belly. Worky, 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 worky. Classic, I saw that classic. dance, and I said, Mommy, I want to dance with her. You know, and another dance school that I went to that was ran by two St. Lucian sisters, Yvette Alfred Serratani and Lydia Alfred. Their parents were from St. Lucia, and I also went to that dance school. So even in my early formative years, I was dancing to Caribbean music and learning Caribbean movement. I was also taking styles like tap, jazz, and acrobatics. Those were like the first styles of dance I learned. And as I got older, I kept adding on more and more and more. So yeah, that community was, I was, I was very lucky to, to be in that community for sure. Now you, you, you know, there's, there are dancers and then, there are people like you. You're a dancer, dancer. <laughs> what, what was it like teaching it? Uh, you know, what was the feeling 
growing up and learning all these forms of dance and then having the ability to teach at some of the most renowned institutions. I mean, we're talking Alvin, Alvin Ailey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Tell, tell us about um, that experience. Honestly, it was just a natural progression because once I started dance school at that young age, I never, it's, it's still in my life. It, you know, sometimes you're just destined to do certain things. And so even in my high school years, I um, auditioned to get into the fame school, which is LaGuardia. It's, a, it's an art school. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for dance, for music, and piano. I got in for vocal. I did, so I auditioned for vocal, dance, and piano. And I got in for voice. But I was so focused on dance at that time in my life, it hurt my feelings that I didn't get into the dance program. So I just decided to continue my my Catholic high, my Catholic school studies. And I went to a Catholic high school that I got accepted to. But even in that, after school, I was going to dance school at the um, East Soda, the Edge School of the Arts, which is another dance school that very helped cultivate my artistic talents. I was in voice class there, as well as all my dance classes that I was taking. And these were very um, challenging classes, which I really was looking forward to having that challenge to really help me increase my um, technique and my capabilities as a dancer. Also, I was in a dance company called Kekta, the the Kerry Edge Children's Dance Ensemble, and also simultaneously in a hip-hop dance company called Queen's Finest, while also doing track and cheerleading and step after school. So I was very busy. I also was in the teen club at my church. So I always, I never had time to play around because I had so many activities going on in my life. I was always busy just honing my craft, really. Um, And that's what led me to be able to go to places like Alvin Ailey, take class there, or even perform at Aaron Davis Hall, which is a prestigious venue in Harlem with Deeply Rooted, which is a company out of Chicago, Kevin Iega Jeff. So, uh, who is a, a... well-known black choreographer in the black dance scene in America. So I, I was able to get many um, opportunities through my dance school, through my dance companies, and just continuing to pursue the arts in New York. You know, you get exposed to a lot of things, which New York is really good for in that aspect. Wonderful, wonderful. And you, you ran track as well, did you? Yes, I did. For my freshman and sophomore year. After sophomore year, I gave it up because I had to choose between dance and track physically it was it was too demanding and in dance you're developing your muscles a certain way and track is it doesn't really coincide so i had to choose one or the other and i said you know what if i'm going to give up track i still need to do something extracurricular in school so that's when i went over to the step team and then after the step team i went over to cheerleading so i was like oh i can still kind of be active and physical and i can dance okay so that's kind of how i chose to do that is there anything you didn't do? Did you cook? Did you cook for the cafeteria as well? <laughs> <laughs> there was a dance club in my high school that I was never a part of. I don't know why. I just maybe I just didn't think it was anything there for me in retrospect. But I don't know. I never took part in the dance club. But yeah, I I had enough dance going on outside of school. Probably didn't feel it necessary, you know. Right, right. So after high school, you went on to university. College. Right. Yes, College SUNY Purchase, which is another school that I actually auditioned for the dance program and did not get in. <laughs> but uh, my academics were so good, they still accepted me into the academic school, the school for academia. academia. Right. So I ended up deciding to go there because I could still have access to the arts, even though I didn't get into one of the specific art programs. And it actually ushered me into my major, Media Society and the Arts where I was able to take all art forms. So I was able to take dance for non-majors and acting for non-majors and voice for non-majors. So I was in the chorus. I was learning how to 
record music. I took studio composition. And so all of these courses that I had access to because I didn't get accepted into one or the other, it actually worked in my favor. And I started out as a liberal studies major. By the time my uh, second semester, sophomore year, I declared my major. And I found a major that fit me personally. So it worked in my favor. So one of the things that you did while you were at university, you opened up the conversation between African and Afro-Caribbean students. Correct. I did. Um, When I landed at Purchase, the cultural groups that existed We had OPIA, which is an acronym for Organization of African Peoples. We had Latinos Unidos, and we had ASA, which was the Asian Student Association. Mm. So I first got there, and the friends that I naturally made were Caribbean women, and all of us were from different countries. So, of course, I I had my Guyanese ancestry, one of my great friends, Tamika, her family's Trini and Grenadian. Then my other great friend, Tamara, her family's from Barbados. Then my other great friend, Maggie, she's Haitian. And then my friend, Sherry Ann, she's Jamaican. And my friend, Laquana, she's from St. Vincent. So I realized my whole clique, we represented different cultures. So after my freshman year, I said, you know what? I got a job with the campus events uh, a, a campus events uh, program, which is basically people who help create programs for the students on campus. And so we would create events to engage the student community. And then we would also, you know, uh, go to these events and just make sure everything went well, open up, close up, and make sure everything ran according to plan. So within that, we had to do a project where we wanted to start something new on campus. And I said, you know what? I have all these Caribbean students that I know. Why don't I start a Caribbean associate. Why we don't have a Caribbean club? It, there's, a, there's a void. And I decided to fill it. And it became quickly became the most popular club on campus. And not only that, people from every culture, not only Caribbean people, everyone joined in. So we had a lot of African students who decided, you know what, Organization of African Peoples is cool, but I think this is more along the lines of what I want to explore. And they wanted to learn more about our culture. And we had a, a great cross-cultural exchange. So, um, side note, Amanda Seals, for the infamous Amanda Seals, she went to Purchase too, and she was my uh, teacher's aide my freshman year in my Intro to African American Literature class. Okay. And, and, and she's, she's Grenadian. Yeah. And when she would have her parties, my freshman, she was a senior and I was a freshman, she would call me and my Bajan friend Tamara to come. She called us the reggae girls because we knew all the dances. Like back then, that's when. Uh, Pondy River and all that was was at Sean Paul. So she would invite us to her parties to get the keep the party going because we knew all of the dance hall dances back then. So that's a cute little purchase side story to give you there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had a we had a small community, but Soka became quickly, which was an acronym for Students of Caribbean Ancestry, and it quickly became one of the most popular. Uh, clubs because we had Latinos, we had so we had people from every demographic. I had people, Dominican stu- students, I had Nigerian, Ghanaian, um, and of course all the other Caribbean cultures. So we didn't discriminate. We basically brought everyone together. Right, right. And so Soka still exists, from my understanding. Yes, still to this day, it still exists. So it's something I'm pretty, I'm very proud of, and we're coming up on our tenth year anniversary in 2024 which is three years away now. Well, four years away, sorry. But that'll go. That'll come really fast. So I'm already planning our, our uh, 
sorry, not 10th year, our 20th anniversary, because we started in 2004. So the 20th anniversary is coming up in a four years, and I'm looking forward to doing something really big for all of the students who have passed through Soka in the last 20 years. Wonderful. Oh, that's nice. You you, you. you gave a side story. Actually, they need they probably need to give you a plaque or something as the founder. Oh, that would be nice. I don't know if that'll happen, but hey, <laughs> that would be nice. And it's also it's a, also a way to also preserve the history and pass the history on, you know? So Almost I'm looking death. forward to that 20th anniversary reunion. Wonderful. I, well, yeah. Um, you mentioned a side story um, about purchase and um, uh, dancing at Amanda Seals' birth. Uh, I'm sorry, not birthday, at her parties. Now, what was it like? Oh, how did how did you how did you end up in the Elephant Man video for Ponder River? Because at this time, you know, back then when you saw a, a, a West Indian video on MTV or BET, it was like, yeah, <laughs> it was so big back then. You know, now it's a little more normalized. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. So I was listening to Hot ninety seven every Sunday night. They would have Bobby Condes and Jabba on the re- play, mm-hmm. do their reggae show, and then there would be a quick. DJ that would do a soca re- deal life. He would do a soca set. So right. during their radio show, they announced that Elephant Man was coming to New York. He was looking for dancers, and well, um, and the director would be at the club. This club called Speed. It doesn't exist anymore. A club called Speed. So and it was a, like a nineteen and up club. So I was right around the perfect age. I'm like nineteen. I can go. So I went to this club because I'm like I'm getting this job. And then they had girls go up on the stage one by one to show their skills. Tanisha Scott was there, who was an infamous. Uh, reggae choreographer in the in the industry. She's Jamaican. I'm Jamaican, yes, yes. but she's from Toronto. So I got up on that stage. Little X was there, who's also from Toronto. So yes. I got up on that stage. I started dancing, and the audience was screaming for me. So when I went to leave the stage, X, Little X, who now he just goes by Director X, he told me X. to put my name on a piece of paper. And I got a call like the next day to come to the audition. And when I walked in the room, Tanisha Scott was sitting behind the table. She was like, you're the first girl I noticed. And I said, I want to work with her. And I was like, what? And I had on my little wife beater with a Guyanese flag airbrushed on it. Like my whole Guyanese, co- my Guyanese flag colors representing. So I went to the audition and I got chosen. And though, so that's the story how I ended up even in the video. So that was that's what launched really launched me into like the professional industry even though i had been doing gigs in high school or in and around new york it wasn't like a music video for uh, up and coming or even back then elephant man was very well known yeah it was and huge so, and reggae was having its time in the states and on you know charts so it was a big deal and and it was a great experience and that's actually how i met nicole de weaver on set at the elephant man video shoot and not only that she was a featured model in that video shoot she also took a picture of me that day like back when you had to develop film she took right. a picture of that because we just we hit it off once we met each other and like she kind of was looking out for me on set so it's only um it's so funny years later we ended up doing a broadway musical together and the first day she was like you look so familiar and i'm like i do she came back the next day with the picture she said i knew i knew you for-. and i was like oh my god you're the girl i get it i didn't even realize it was her at first we didn't even realize and that's how we reconnected so 
for people listening who don't know, Nicole DeBeaver is an amazing dancer from the island of St. Martin who have, now has an arts foundation called Art Saves Lives. And it's an amazing organization that I've been uh, so lucky to be a part of since its inception. And yeah, she's an amazing dancer, actress. She did West Side Story and a whole bunch of many other things. So, oh no 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 need yeah. to tell we 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 have her on the podcast so you guys should oh, go good. So you, you guys, guys should go check out that Nicole episode <laughs> yes honey you should go check out the nicole de weaver episode those, check those it out guys episodes. she's absolutely amazing and she's doing amazing things for the youth of st martin so yes Indeed. big up yourself Indeed. <laughs> so it's so funny that you you ran into nicole um years how long what was the it was it a year later or so, okay, the video after that was maybe, um, maybe five years later, almost yeah, four to five later. Wow, wow. When we bumped into each other again. I hadn't seen her since. So, so a lot of time had passed. That's why I wasn't at first. I wasn't sure. I like I know she looked familiar, but I couldn't put my, my finger on it. Good she's people. like, I know you from somewhere. I know you. And then the next day she brought the, she's like, I knew I knew you. She's like, look at this. I'm like, no way. Wow. <laughs> Good people connect all the time. It's amazing. Love yep. attraction. Yep. So tell us about your fella experience. I mean, specifically, you know, in in the historical and spiritual perspective, because uh, speaking with, even speaking with Nicole, she said it was just a different type of experience working on that uh, production in particular. Fella on Broadway changed my life Mm. and is still affecting my life till this day. Wow. It is the most amazing production I have ever been a part of and not only on a professional level but also on a spiritual level i mean this is a real person who lived and existed it's just not you know a lot of broadway musicals are fictitious stories but this is a real life story many of the characters are still alive here some of them have passed and it for me it was a very spiritual experience because i lost i actually lost my grandmother who actually planted the musical seed in me i wrote my first song at the piano with her when i was about four years old and that's when i started piano lessons which i forgot to mention along with my dance training i was also in piano lessons from the age of five and it's because of my grandmother so now i made it to this level of i'm I'm in a broadway musical i do i've worked my way all the way up because broadway is pretty top you know when it comes to theater in new york that's the top that's the highest level that you can get to mm-hmm. of a professional and so it was just a full circle moment i lost her it was right out like a couple days after michael jackson passed away this is 2009 so this was over 10 years ago now because it's 2020 yeah so um but yes not only that getting to work with such beautiful talented black people of the diaspora once again i'm in a i'm in a situation where many people from the diaspora are coming together to do something greater than ourselves the work was absolutely amazing and also being able to impact his family you know they were just like we can't believe how of an amazing job you did portraying his life you know and i've made connections with his children still to this day um that is just amazing you know i was able to go to africa for the first time travel to nigeria with this production uh and and experience africa in a way i could never have ever imagined because now I'm going to Africa for the first time with the most amazing production I've ever been a part of. We were nominated for 11 11 Tony Awards. I got to meet most some of 
amazing people, including Michelle Obama, Janet Jackson. I also met Jill Scott. She came to the musical. She fell so much in love with me that she wanted me to go on tour with her, and I couldn't go. So I ended up choreographing her tour, and that's how I even got Jill Scott that job. Down to even Lauren Hill when she found out I, when she was interviewing me to work with her and she found out I was a part of the fella production, she was amazed, you know, and I'm kind of going off track a little bit here, but I also mentioned that I had been working with Alison Hines as a choreographer and she sat in her chair. She sat up. I said, Oh, you know who Alison Hines is? Okay. Miss Hill knows. Okay. But I shouldn't be that shocked because she, you know, she is into reggae and culture and, yeah. you know, she has children with Rohan Marley. So I shouldn't have been shocked, but I was shocked. So anyway, let me get back to Fela. Going to Nigeria as a professional actor with a Broadway musical, we made history. That's never happened in the history of society. Like, <laughs> that has never happened. So we made history, and it was such a great experience just experiencing Africa for the first time, specifically Nigeria, as a professional actor, singer, dancer. Oh, I, I mean, we got to go to Fela's home, his 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 um. Calicuto, where he lived, and his body is buried there in the front yard in a mausoleum. And we got to meet all the people who were still squatting there at the time. I actually ended up returning to Nigeria in 2012 on my own. I went to go see um, Celebration. They spend a week celebrating Fela in the shrine, where we also got to perform, which is basically the nightclub where he would perform all the time. And now his son, Femi, opened up the new Africa shrine. So we went there, we performed the production in there and I returned the next year and experienced celebration there. And they turned his home into a museum. And actually right now there's a portrait of me in that museum. How? I don't know. Wow. But some of the cast members went back last year or the year before to do a small production of the Fela musical. I have moved on since I haven't done it since 2013's, um, run with Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child. Right. After that, I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to move on to other things. But another uh, version of the cast went to Nigeria and they were all sending me pictures like, girl, your picture's in Calicuta. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, so I have to get back to Nigeria to go see this because that's an accomplishment that I didn't even think would ever happen to me, but it's there, you, you know? made an impact. I know. So, yeah, it's, it's very life-changing and still to this day, Many of the jobs that I get, you know, it's not, it's because, not to say not, but it is because of the fact that I was a part of that production. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm ever, forever grateful for the impact that Fela Kuti, even his death, has had on my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just to mm -hmm. backtrack a little bit, you created something called the Afrosoka Dance Movement. Yes, I did. Tell us a little bit about that, because that was a term... The term is popular now, but when you now, were doing it, it wasn't even, it wasn't popular at all. No, at all. So let me tell you about that. I started in Fela 2009. Now, even before I coined the phrase, I was already doing Afro Soka because I was already teaching Soka because it goes back to my roots from when I was a kid, a dancer learning, you know, going to dance school. We were doing it Afro Soka, but they weren't calling it that, right? So when I started doing Fela on Broadway and I learned the story of Fela and his life, and how he created the term Afrobeat. Afrobeat. That was he created that term. Yes. And now they call it Afrobeats with an S, but Afrobeat is the original style that he created. And it was him creating, bringing together what he loved because he studied jazz in London. He studied jazz music, but he's like, this is cool and all, but I, I need my culture, I need my style. And so he put the Afro in the beat and hence created Afrobeat. So when I learned that, I was like, you know what? 
when I take, I love African dance. I trained all my life in West African dance and Caribbean dance. If I bridge, and I love soca music, but I bridge the two, it becomes Afro soca. And that's how I created the term because I wanted to bring together the worlds that I love so much. I love African dance and I love soca music dance culture. And so I created the term and I started putting videos out on YouTube. The first video I put out was a dance to what list that went viral back in those days. This is 2011. It went viral. Nicole DeViva was in it. Rachel Onika Phillips, who's a Broadway actress from Grenada, who has done several musicals outside of Fela since then. Um, and Kat Foster, who's a great um, African-American dancer. And she also has Indian heritage, Native American heritage. And she's from D.C. And amazing dancer. So... I brought, I called them in the studio. I said, hey, guys, let's come together. Let's do this, you know? And I, from there, I just started building the style even more now that I had the name for it. And I started actually teaching a weekly class in downtown Brooklyn at a dance school called Kumbe. So Kumbe still exists to this day. Um, and they don't have Afro Soka there because obviously I left. And when I left, I had uh, a friend of mine, Karifa Davis, um, who we also went to college. We went to purchase together. I had her take over my classes. But then the school actually ended up taking a break and they had to change locations. And so Afro Soka got lost. And I moved to L.A. In the, with the idea and plan to spread it over there, which I've been doing since I moved to L.A. But yeah, that's how I started Afro Soka. And it's so funny. I know that the song Ola Tunji and Static, I know they saw my videos on YouTube and created the song because no one was even using the word until I created it, you know? And you can even, um, there's an article that The Fader did about Afro Soka and they credit me with coining the phrase. So that's you, cool that for history sake that I got my credit. I was about to say, did, did you copyright that one? <laughs> I surely did it and it's okay because... I registered it, but it's really not from, it's not for me. It's for the world. Right. It's not me. And if I were to capitalize on it and make money off of it, yeah, that would have been cool, but it's okay. Wow. It's okay. But it's you know, at least, at least the, the fader gave you credit. It's documented and that's what's it important. Is. And that's what's important. You choreographed a very popular gospel song. From Michelle yes. Williams. Say yes. Well, I didn't, I didn't choreograph it. It's actually Jill Valerie. She's a member of the Fela cast as well. So um, when we went on tour with Michelle, she was very close with Michelle, helping her with, you know, getting her lines and her parts together for the show and just keeping the entire show because she was the dance captain um, of the musical. So she was imp responsible for keeping us in line and making sure the show ran properly. And so... When Michelle was deciding to shoot the video, she reached out to Jill and then Jill reached out to me to take part. And I said, uh, yeah, of course I want to do it. And um, it was a great experience. That was not my first time working with Beyonce. I actually worked with her with Nicole DeWeaver yes. and Jeffrey Page, another member of the Fela cast. We helped workshop movement for her Run the World video. And um, we were actually going to be a part of the video. But at the same time that she was shooting it was when they were taking the cast uh, fell out to Nigeria. So, of course, we chose that over Beyonce. No offense, but, you know, <laughs> love you, girl. But that experience is is, is priceless. So um, I'm glad I had those five days with her in the studio. And it was cool to see her again on set with Michelle and Kelly um, and reconnect with her. And I'm at the time, I had started working with Lauren Hill. So at one point when we were in between takes, Michelle came over and was like, so what you up to? You know, just asking all the dancers, like, what they've been up to. 
And so when they got to me, I was like, oh, well, I'm actually working with Lauren Hill. Beyonce had her head down. When she heard me say that, she looked up like, what? Like, she didn't say what, but she looked up. And I'm like, yeah. And Michelle's like, well, what do you do with her? I'm like, well, I actually give her private dance lessons. And um, I actually sing backup sometimes when she needs me to. She's like, really? Like, I'm like, yeah. And I give her daughter private lessons. And they were all like, wow, really? She's like, what does she need a choreographer for? I'm like, oh, I choreograph her background vocalist too, you know. They're like, wow, you just wear many hats. I'm like, well, yeah shoot and i appreciate i appreciate lauren hill for seeing all that talent in me and cultivating it and allowing me to express myself you know i'm very lucky to to work with such um, i've been blessed to work with some amazing influential women of the entire diaspora like i i feel very lucky Mm, indeed indeed so kira you took all of that experience and everything that you did with all these superstars and you yourself became a headlining singer in Australia, of all places. How did yes. you discover Pinal, or how did Pinal discover you? <laughs> well, once again, it goes back to Fela and Ikalapo Kuti. To this day, he is blessing me. Um, so what happened? I was in a band called Chop and Quench, which was basically a spinoff of the musical. It was myself and two other vocalists from the show and the band members who would play the live music. And we would do gigs all over Brooklyn and all over the U.S., sometimes internationally. And um, so we had a show in Los Angeles, and they actually ended up hiring a local horn section. And one of the horn players, his name is Todd Simon, we hit it off, and we were just, you know, just talking and exchanging, and I let him know I actually had an apartment in L.A. that I was returning to in a month or so, and we realized that we lived in close proximity to each other. So he let me know. He's like, hey, we exchange information. He said, hey, reach out to me when you get back. And I, I said, I definitely will. And I did just that. I reached out to him and he invited me to go see one of his shows. He has a band called Ethio Cali. It's an amazing jazz band, diaspora. They even have a steel pan player in the band. It's like a, a, a beautiful jazz fusion band. So I went to check them out one night. And a couple of days later, he texted me. He said, hey, have you ever heard of a band called Empire of the Sun. And I said, no, never heard of them. He said, well, they're looking for background vocalists. And I thought of you. Would you, would you mind if I share your information? I said, no problem, share it. And I, they called me and I went into a session with two other vocalists and we sang some background vocals. And uh, we did two songs. And about a couple of days later, they reached back out to me and said, hey, can you come back in? We want to do some more stuff with you. So I said, yeah, no problem. And I came back and I was like, you know, hey, where are the other girls? And they're like, oh, no, we just we just want to work with you. And I said, oh, OK. And the rest is kind of history. So I started off Nick Littlemore, who is in the band now. He's also in a few other bands, one being Empire of the Sun, which is a very popular band internationally in Australia and the UK um, and in America. They're just known internationally. And so they kind of co-opted me from Empire and brought me into Pinal and the rest is history. I worked on their next album, which they hadn't put on an album for about five years. Prior to working with me, the last album they did was with Elton John. Wow. You know? Yes. Yeah, so it's crazy. Big that shoes to fill. Yeah, they just heard, I guess they heard a uniqueness in my voice that they really liked. And we worked together so well, you know. I just came in there with an open mind and open heart. And that's how I do everything. And it just worked. And we, we got a great working relationship and create amazing music. So still to this day, I've been, you know, I tour with them and do some of the biggest shows I've ever done. I mean, huge festivals with 30,000 people in Australia. So it's been quite an amazing experience working with them. 
And I've had several hit singles from the first single, Chameleon, to the second single, Go Bang, which right now has 10 million views on YouTube, which nowadays, that's a a huge deal, you know? And Chameleon went platinum. Chameleon went platinum, so did Go Bang. And um, the most recent single I did with them last year is called Solid Gold. And we've worked on other stuff. Um, I know they're probably waiting for me to get back in the studio with them, but, you know, with the pandemic, I haven't been in L.A. I've been here in Florida with my parents, just kind of waiting this thing out and um yeah so wow wow and wow ride working with them and i look forward to working with them even more even on my own album because i have now i have my own music that i'm working on to bring out and share with the world did you just to back up a bit did you like edm before so that's the funny thing in my childhood there was a moment in time where i was so in love with techno and edm music so i had a moment in my life where that's all i listened to there's a radio station in new york called ktu and i listened to used to listen and z100 and i would listen to it all the time and this is like circa 95 96 97 Mm. and so i feel like it came full circle for me but even before that um before techno i was into house music growing up which had a very afro rhythm to it so it's always been in my spirit but to say that I was into EDM before I met them, not really. You know, I was into ha- ta- house and techno. So I guess even doing EDM is kind of bridging all of those things together. The house, the techno, and then getting bringing in their electronic sound. It's like just a marriage or a menagerie of just all these different cultural aspects. So it was pretty cool. Because I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a huge EDM fan. And mm-hmm. your voice is amazing. I don't know they were able to just extract all the best juices from your voice. And, just and I'm telling you, from that first session, when I was singing the backgrounds, they heard something that I didn't even know. They knew, though. They knew they knew something about my voice would suit EDM well. It just you fits know? on those beats. Yeah, so if I didn't meet them as producers and work with them as producers, who knows if I would have ever done EDM music. And that's just to be quite frank, you know? It was all experimental for me. And even... In, in the studio, the process of us recording was very different from what I knew. You know, it was very out, out of the box. And I just, you know, stayed open to the process and just went with the flow. And it actually led to one of the best working relationships I've had to date. Tell us about the Soka Sirens project. Yeah, so Soka Sirens started in New York. Um, after the Watless video I posted on YouTube, I said, you know what? I want to start a natural dance company. And I want it to be about femininity and Soka like with a feminine style so i started building that in new york and then um we performed at several uh fets and labor day parade um between rama j and freaks new york which are two different mass bands in new york and after that i said you know what i want to branch out and start it in la so i started in la I, i had auditions and i had dance and we did a couple shows um and then my music career started taking off so i kind of put it on the back burner but right now i revamped the brand and it's also a mass band oh. and so we were coming out this year 2020 for the hollywood carnival but obviously everything has been canceled due to the pandemic so soca sirens is still a female-based entertainment group However, we are branching out and we are now, you know, accepting everyone because we're also doing mass. So 
unfortunately it's not happening this year for Hollywood Carnival, but they are pushing everything back to 2021. So you will see Soka Sirens in their full return in 2021 in Hollywood Carnival. So that's exciting, an exciting aspect for me. And I look forward to actually taking Soka Sirens on the road with my musical career. So I have a few things, you know, that I'm working on Excellent. to bring it everything together for my own personal ventures. You know, I've collaborated with a lot of amazing artists, but I feel like now I'm at the point in my career where it's my turn and my time to really put myself out there as an artist and let people know about my story and who I am and what I have to offer the world, you know? For sure. What did did I miss any of the artists that you worked with? Or no, there... I mentioned Lauren Hill, Joe Scott, um, Allison Hines, which was an amazing experience after fell on Broadway, working with her and traveling around the commute, the, the world. And actually my first time ever in St. Martin was with Allison Hines. And this is before I came to do art saves lives with Nicole. Um, I went to St. Martin. She was performing at a big concert in the carnival village. And yeah, so that was my first experience in St. Martin with Allison Hines. I went to the Dominican Republic with her. I went to Mexico for the first time with her. So I had a lot of great experiences um, traveling the Caribbean and, and internationally, even in America and Canada with her. Awesome. Awesome. Spreading, spreading soca music. Yep. And I, I, when I was in Barbados, I was able to go into studio sessions with her. And even up to two years ago, I was invited to Marshall Mentano's songwriting camp in Toco, Trinidad for 10 days in the jungle. I, I uh, would say, I would say in Toco. <laughs> yes, honey. Toco, loco. I was there when they made that song up, honey. And, um, it was a, such a great experience being around all these accomplished producers and songwriters and it just inspired me to write even more to the point where i actually wrote a soca song for vaughn and blocks blocks and vaughn it's called keep it i co-wrote it with a producer a trini producer who's um based out of la uh like myself his name is jot it down josiah but his uh producer name is jot it down he produces for several soca artists but we co-wrote that song together and it it went really large in trinidad um, in 20, was that 2018? 20, yeah. yeah, so yeah, keep it. I wrote, I co-wrote that song and you can even hear my vocals in the background. I co-wrote that with Josiah. So yeah, I mean, I'm just so grateful. I have all this talent and not only that, but I'm able to express myself in many ways and many facets, you know, so it, it, you have to have multiple streams of income to be successful in these, there you these go. days. There you go. So I'm still, you know, capitalizing on that. And sometimes I'm just like, which way do I go? I have dance, I have music, but I realize I'm going to keep that pressure off myself and just do what I love and love to and love what I do. Tell us a bit about your acting. Yes. So even after um, Fela, I was able to do a movie called Freedom starring Cuba Gooding Jr. It used to be on Netflix, but since he's had some legal troubles, they took it down. Um, and I've done a lot of off-Broadway musicals and my plan since I'm living in LA and my music career is now off the ground, since I've been focusing on that for the last four years, I plan on doing more acting. So I'm itching to get back to LA next week and start submitting again for acting roles because I've kind of shied away from it with focusing my energy on music and dance, you know? So, yeah. Tell me, you travel a lot. This is obvious. Yes. Is it important to you to sort of learn a bit about the culture of where, you know, of the places you travel? Everywhere I go, I make it my business because I want to be able to impart and share the knowledge 
as a teacher, because I am a dance teacher as well, and I always feel it's important to give context and history about what it is I'm doing and teaching and sharing. So it's always important for me to do that. For instance, when I go to St. Martin, after the first year, it's like, okay, if I'm going to teach them Afro Soka, I want them to feel proud about who they are and their culture. So I decided, decide, I decided, you know what, let me use local artists. Why am I just using Trini music or Beijing music? I should use the local artists so that these children feel proud of who they are and where they're from, you know? And also learning the history of St. Martin. I mean, that's just one country, but the salt pickers. And so I incorporated that in one of my pieces a few years ago when I did it. Um, and sharing that knowledge because when you know who yourself and you have that sense of self and pride, then nobody can tell you anything, you know, and this is a, it's, it's a, it's a hard world out here. It's a beautiful world, but it's important, especially us children of the diaspora to know as much as we need to know as much as we can about who we are and where we come from. Indeed. So every culture from St. Martin to Dominican Republic, I can't wait to go to Cuba. I've never been yet, but I'm looking forward to study and learn the dance and the culture. I mean, I've taken it outside of Cuba, but I look forward to going and learning myself, even going to Australia on tour and going into Aboriginal communities and taking dance lessons and learning. I, I mean, I take it upon myself to do that because it's what I'm most passionate about, honestly. That's wonderful. Thank Ab you. Aboriginal, that, that is wonderful. Yes. They're one of the oldest cultures on the planet. Exactly, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. If I am a dancer that has dreams of becoming, what's my first step? How do I start? You know, to the to the young uh, man or young woman that's listening to this podcast, you know, what are some of the first steps that they should take? Well, the first step is to find what you love. Do what you love, and you always love what you do. And once you figure out what that is that you love, you start going in, the, in that direction. You start going in that direction, and you start learning everything you can about that. And continue to hone your craft or your skill, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. That's what you do by any means necessary. Because if you love it and you're passionate about it, that means that's what you, that's what you're here to do. And you don't let anyone steer you. It's not always going to be an easy road, but you can never give up. And you just keep developing yourself. And before you know it, you'll be so skillful that no one can tell you anything about yourself. Whatever it is that you love to do, you run with it. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be artistic, you know. It can be anything. But you learn as much as you can. You study. You take it upon yourself to learn even more. Don't just depend on school or teachers. You go outside of school and you go to different places, physically go to different places and learn as much as you can. Hone your craft because that is what you have to offer the world. It is a gift. And most importantly, don't be afraid to share it with the world. It's not enough to hone it. You don't want to be selfish. You're given that gift to share it with the world. So you just develop that gift as best as you can, and then you share it. Indeed. Now, you're a teacher, you're a dancer, you're an actor. How do you maintain the balance between the entertainment aspect and, you know, that which is cerebral. Like, you're, you're such an intelligent person. You're such a thinker. But you're able to entertain at the highest level at the same time. Mm -hmm. How do you strike that balance? Well, it almost goes along with what I was just saying. Even though, you know, I'm a woman of a certain age, the learning never stops. And that's what all of us have to remember. Until you're dead and six feet under, 
you continue to learn and grow. We are on we are on a journey here. So just because I've reached a certain level doesn't mean there isn't more for me to do or learn. And so that's what I do. I make sure I continue to hone my craft. I take classes. I teach collaborative classes. I read books, you know, and then if I want to learn something, I go there. I find the money, I save up, and I go and I learn firsthand. You know, yes, you can go online and learn, but if you have the opportunity to actually go there and be with the people and learn from the source, it's even better, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's important to just continue to, to be on that journey of growth, really, and continue to uh, shape your destiny, you know, shape who you are and what you want to become, you know? There's always room to grow. No one is perfect. There's never a level that you get to and you say, okay, this is it. Or else if, if that's it for you, then you're going to just plateau. If that's what you want to do, fine. But if you want to continue to grow and reach other heights and, and push your talent to the next level, then you have to keep learning and growing and pushing your talent to that next level. Now, what keeps you motivated, Kira? Oh, what keeps me motivated? My passion for the arts, my passion to see the next generation have the freedom to do whatever it is that they choose. My passion to heal the world through the arts, whether it be music, dance, singing, whatever it is, there's a lot of healing that needs to go on in this planet. And that's what keeps me going. I have a lot of work to do. I want my art to be a conduit for social change. I know that my art is a conduit for social change. Working with people like Fela and Nikolapokuti, God rest his soul, and Lauren Hills and Jill Scott, these powerful women that are able to affect many people with positivity, we have enough negativity out there. I want to be one of those artists to inspire through their music and inspire in a, a positive way through their music and their art and their dance. It's important because, you know, we there's a lot of divisive things out there. And I'm not judgmental of what people choose to do. However, it's important to share these messages of positivity. You know, a la Bob Marley and Stevie Wonder. You know, that's the kind of artist I see myself as. Someone who shares positivity and love and light through their art. Indeed, Speak to the discipline that it takes to not only reach the level you're at, but to maintain that level. Oh, it requires an immense amount of discipline. But half of the battle is having the passion. So once you have the passion, you have the discipline. And listen, some some days we don't want to do it. We don't want to get out of bed. But it's 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 not when you work for yourself and when you're your own artist, that's not a luxury. You have to get up every day. And that's why it goes back to do what you love and love. You always, you'll never work a day in your life. There's a a quote, you know, love, love what you do. So because you love it, you're excited to get up every day and go after your dreams because it's something you love to do, you know? And that's, that was important to me in my journey, you know, okay, I graduated from college. Now I want to do what it is that I love to do so that, I never feel like I'm working a day in my life. So the discipline comes with it that you have to be disciplined because if if you don't, if you're not disciplined, then you will not accomplish your goals. And so it's important to also set goals and also give yourself a timeline in which to, to achieve those goals, you know, have a journal. Timeline factor. Yes. There's a time. Yes. it's, It's very important. Not only to just write the goal, but, 
give yourself a time frame in which to accomplish it. And you'll see it'll happen. Because a lot of people leave that aspect out of it. <laughs> you know? Correct. But if you don't leave, your, leave give yourself a, a timeline, then you're not holding yourself accountable. And the accountability leads back to the discipline. So if you can do that, you, before you know it, you'll be checking goals off your list even before the time that you thought you would have it accomplished. Right. And that is what helps with the discipline. How do you deal with disappointments as an artist? Because you're not going to get every, uh, nail every no. audition or every, you know. No, yes. I think, honestly, through the years, I've gotten better with dealing with disappointment. But I will be honest, because you're an artist in whatever capacity, it hurts. You know, now that I'm a little older, it doesn't hurt as much. But if it's something you really want and you don't get it, I'm at the point in my career where I know what is meant for me is for me. So if I don't get it, even though I thought this was for me, how I, maybe the universe is leading me to something else. And, and that's where I'm at in my career. And I've been here for a, a while now. But in my early 20s, man, I would go to these auditions. I remember how many times I auditioned for Beyonce and didn't book it. Mm-hmm. But then years later, I'm in rehearsals with her five hours one-on-one with Nicole DeWeaver right. and Jeffy Payne. So what is meant for you is for you. Sometimes it may not happen in the way that you envision it, but you don't give up on the dream. That doesn't mean you give up on it. You just continue to chip away at it until you achieve that goal. And it will happen. Words to live by. Words to live by. Who or what inspires Kira Devine? Um, My number one inspiration are my parents. You know, I'm first generation born in America. My parents are from another country. So just their shining example because they didn't, grow up here and they literally lived the American dream and because of them I am able to be who I am so I mean they're just absolute goals they're my number one inspiration outside of my parents I love Lauren Hill Jill Scott Allison Hines I mean the women that I've worked with inspire me Right. They inspire me. I'm lucky that's why I I mean that when I say I'm so lucky. Three very powerful women at that Come on. And from different corners of the planet. Like, come on. And then outside of them, people who I haven't worked with that inspire me. Like, recently, I love people like Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. You know, the Janelle Monae. Yes. You know, people like that who are not afraid to be artistically free. Putting it, uh, out, putting it out in the universe. Future, future guests on Planet 30. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> Do it. Keep chipping away. You never know. It'll be that way one day. Definitely. Definitely. Um, what's your process in terms of creation? And, and when I, when I say creation, you know, you don't merely do small projects. It seems, it seems that you look at the, the biggest project possible and say, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> what allows you to take such bold steps? You know, honestly, I love what I do. So I'm not afraid of the darkness. I'm just not afraid because if I don't, what am I, what do I have to lose? I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And even the idea of what I was saying um, a little bit before about if it's, if, if I want something really bad and it doesn't happen for, happen for me in the way that I envisioned it, I don't give up. I just, I don't say, okay, well, it's not going to happen. No, I just continue to chip away at other aspects and eventually it unfolds, maybe not in the way that I envisioned, but it happens in some way, shape or form. So yeah, I how I go about it. And then honestly, another thing that I do, I do a lot of journaling. I write down what it is I want to accomplish and not just a list of goals. 
like in detail what I want to happen, how I want it to happen. And then slowly you work towards it. And usually the universe, nine times out of 10, the universe meets you there halfway. Wow. But you wow. have to do, you have to do the work. You cannot just say, you can't just write in your notebook, I want to be a millionaire and then sit on your butt every day, all day. That's not, it's not going to happen for you. Funny how that is. You're a millionaire and then you start working on an idea and five years later, boom, you become a million dollar company, you know, but it took you five years to get there, but you didn't sit in your butt for five years waiting for it to just come to you. No, you have to do the work. It requires the work to meet the universe halfway and then boom. What will happen for you? Here we go. We are all able to manifest our wildest dreams. You know, we're not taught these things in school. But if you have a dream, why do you think that you're having that dream? You're supposed to do everything in your power to manifest it. You know? And, and, and you release that dream and you do the work to meet the dream. And then the dream slowly becomes a reality. A reality hmm. that you can even in fathom, you know? But that's how it goes. Let me ask you this. Many artists, uh, especially when they're, you know, they're hitting about 30, maybe 35, maybe 40, maybe 45, they sort of start to compare themselves to other people. Um, speak to that in terms of not comparing yourself or comparing yourself, you yeah. know? Because I think each person's journey is different and. Obviously, what you just mentioned, um, it's very important that you auditioned for Beyonce. You didn't get it, but years later, boom, you're you're closer to her than and pr- than probably you would have been had you gotten that uh, opportunity before. Right. Um, being older, I mean, okay, so they, they said comparison is the thief of joy or something like that. There's a line that, along those lines, and it's true, especially in the social media era. Yes. When you're scrolling and you see, you know, this person got more likes than me or this person got more followers than me. And it literally comparison is the thief of joy. Do not compare yourself. You are a unique individual. There is no one else like you on this planet. And that is what makes you stand out from the rest. That is what makes you special. And yes, in the beginning, I always felt, okay, I'm special. But sometimes like in early in my career, I didn't always feel like I was valuable enough, especially being a dark skinned woman in an industry that, that didn't pick women with natural hair. I used to audition for Beyonce when she wasn't checking for black girls. Okay. I remember those days in New York, you know, when they would pick one black girl, one token black girl, you know what I mean? And I came up Mm. in that era and it used to wear, I I would, would, I would be lying if I said that it didn't wear on my self-esteem a little bit. But then I would get opportunities and I'm like, no, I knew, I knew it. I know I got the talent. I am special. Why? Because I didn't give up. I didn't let those little non-victories take me off course. It was more always for me, it was always like, really? You don't, you didn't pick me? You had the nerve not to pick me? You're missing out because I know I'm talented. I've worked hard to get where I am and I'm special and I'm unique and my day will come, you know? So and then even when you get older, I, I like to think of people like Pharrell Williams, who I had the pleasure of working with um, years ago on a, on a music video I did uh, when, for NERD, Everybody Knows. And I did that video actually because I had worked with the director on a video 
before that for a rock band called the editors out of england and i just got a call from her assistant like hey um have you heard of this band NERD? I said, what do you mean? I love NERD. Are you serious? They're like, oh, would you be interested in doing a video? I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I got a direct book from the director, girl. Okay. Right. <laughs> anyway, this is what I mean. And I loved Pharrell so much as a producer in college. That's why I even studied studio production because I wanted to produce beats like NERD. And now years later, this is what I mean about manifesting. I didn't know how I would ever meet him, but look at, look at how. And then when I was on set, I was dancing in a corner, and a lady came up and tapped me. I turn around. It's this Haitian lady from my church. Her name is Yanli Arty. And she tells me, hey, me and P been watching you dance in the corner. Come over here. Little did I know this Haitian lady from my church was Pharrell's manager. Oh, wow. Who she happened to be also managing Tiana Taylor at the time. Wow. So life is full of surprises. But ultimately, if you're not even in the game, you won't even be there to, to experience those surprises. You have to have the courage to put yourself out there. Now, now when you get older, you listen, there's so many people in the industry from acting, dancing, movies, that music, that have seen their success in their late 30s, early 40s, 50s. Fela created, he didn't really get popular until after his death. But even when he was still traveling and touring, his music really became big and when he was in his 40s 50s so you know you just have to keep stabbing at it no no one knows the time nor the day but you just can't give up keep you the just can't give up and you not compare yourself to others you are unique you have something different and special special to offer the world so just remember that awesome now the kira divine album you have influences from edm you're working with you've worked with Lauren Hill and Jill Scott, which can be put into the hip hop R and B space. Mm -hmm. uh, Michelle Williams, that's gospel. Mm -hmm. You're Guyanese, so you have the soca in you. You have the, the mm -hmm. reggae, the dancehall. Mm -hmm. You you grew up around Haitian, so there's compa and zouk. Mm -hmm. You know DR people, so you have your merengue and bachata. bachata. What does a yes. Kira Divine album sound like? All of that, and then some. I am not sticking to one genre. However, when people ask me, I tell them dance music. Because what do all those genres have in common that you just named? Make it get up and dance. Exactly. So I still am doing dance music. But I'm doing cultural dance music. And every genre you named, I will be touching on my album. And so it will be an eclectic collection of who I am. Me. Everything, literally, you just said, from the zook to the compa to the bachata to the reggae to the dancehall to the soca. I have a song for everything. R&B, hip-hop, you name it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have two EDM tracks, too, you know? So I'm really going to be able to express myself to the truest sense of who I am. I won't be lying because all of those aspects make up Kira Divine. I can't wait for this album to drop. You don't understand. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, too. It's dropping next year, 2021. I got a lot of work to do, so everybody keep me in your prayers. But I'm going to make it happen. All right. If you weren't a dancer, Kira, what other career do you think you'd, you would have fallen into? Like, was there uh, dancer or, like, pilot or? <laughs> oh, I always saw myself like, when they're, like, in school. Like, what do you think you're going to be when you grow up? I always saw myself as my own boss. But I didn't realize the artistic boss side of things. But um, what I would, I, I know, I think most likely I would have been just been a teacher because I just really love teaching children and giving back to children. I just, I get so much joy. You know, my nephew has been here 
down in Florida for the last week. And I've been working with him on his schoolwork. And last night I read him to sleep. I read a book to him. He fell asleep. So I just love teaching kids, not only dance, just teaching children in general. So I'm pretty sure I would have been a school teacher or a teacher to some degree, even maybe university level. But um, and I still believe that I will do that later in life. There's there's a part of me that still wants to do those things um, in the, the scholastic or academic way, you know. So I I um, do want to get my master's degree before I do that. But yeah, I, I like the fact that you I like the fact that you like teaching. Like it, you seem to be the type of person where it's not all about you. And no. p- part of your journey is really, you know, giving back as much as you can while you can. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So, Kira, I know we've talked about your album. We've talked about your dance company in L.A. We spoke about Panau. What other big moves are you making? <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to that album in 2021. But in the meantime, like I mentioned before, I have my single coming out my season and it's such a an amazing message and it's actually very current with what's going on in the world right now the global climate and i'm excited to share this piece because not only is it my first single as an independent artist it is my first music video and I'm just really excited for the world to see that. Um, I'm launching my website, kiradivine.com, this month as well. So everyone can see all of my work in one place. I've been working on that for several months. And then, I, like I said, I'm going to be um, working on some more projects with Canal. Uh, hopefully, they just started a record label, Lab 78. And um, beyond that, we have some more music that we have to finish up. So I look forward to continuing work with them. And um, also working with producers out of the Caribbean. I have a couple of producers that I'm working with on music for Soka 2021 and beyond. Uh-oh. Yes, namely Pop Arts, Shaw, Pops, Jelani Shaw, and um, Casey from Precision Productions. Wow, big guys. Big, yeah, big guys. Actually, Casey um, is the one who mixed and mastered my track that I'm releasing this month. So make sure everybody, you go head to kiradivine.com. You can also come to my Instagram page at Kira Divine and check me out. Make sure you follow me so that you can stay in touch. And you can see all of the amazing projects that I'm working on now and in the near future. Awesome. So at the end of all this, when you're sitting on your rocking chair in your mansion at the age of 85, what would you like to say that you've accomplished? Like, what is your ultimate goal? I want to create positive waves on the globe, on a global scale. And I've actually already started to do it in small waves. And as I continue, I know that they're going to become larger and larger to the point where it's like a tsunami wave. And so the art of positivity art for social change i um i have a lot of major goals but i want to be known sort of like a harry belafonte female version Ah. music acting philanthropy so after i you know accomplish all of my artistic goals philanthropic work i have an arts foundation that i founded in my father's village in guyana called the value arts initiative and actually nicole de weaver she inspired me after working extensively with her and her arts foundation in St. Martin, Art Saves Lives. I saw, I've seen over the years, the impact, the impact that that foundation has had on many of the students that now they've left St. Martin to go all over the world. I've worked with several of them 
at, on professional levels. Even one of my students from Art Saves Lives is in my music video that I'm releasing this month. She happened to be in LA and I said, perfect, you got a gig. You're going to be in my music wow. video. <laughs> and that's another thing I want to leave with people. You have to pay it forward. When you have an opportunity, you have to reach back and pull others up. Pull up those who are worthy. Pull up those who have shown and show the passion and the desire to achieve. You know, those are the people who are going to show up when it's time to show up. So, yes, when I'm old and in my mansion and rocking, I will be I know that I'm going to be proud because art is my vehicle for social change. And I want to continue to share that. Um, I was talking about the Value Arts Initiative and Agricola that I founded four years ago. And it's important to share the values and help to encourage the values of self-worth, self-esteem, and just self-courage. You have to know who you are. You know, a lot of children sometimes don't think that they will have the opportunities to achieve all of their goals. And really, the change starts within each and every one of us. If you have it within yourself, you know that you are special and you are unique and that you deserve to live your wildest dreams. You will do everything in your power to make it happen, you know? And I really want to instill those positive aspects into the youth of not only in Guyana, but all over the world. And I plan on doing that through my music and acting and just living my life to the best of my ability, you know? But yeah, that's kind of the journey. I see myself going along like Harry Belafonte, you know, an art, I, I'm an artist, but I'm also an artivist. Mm. So my art is my activism. My art is where, how I can bring awareness, you know, to the things that have, are going on. And we are in a great time right now to be using art as a vehicle for social change. The world is awakening and the world is ready for change. And I'm happy to be alive during this, um, specifically during the social climate that we see happening all over the globe. Love it, love it, love it. Kira, this is a segment I like to call The Planet is Yours. I strap Ooh. on my spacesuit and jump, on to, jump out into the atmosphere and I'll leave you on the planet alone to tell the audience whatever it is you want to tell them. Wow. First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened up to this point. Uh, you have listened because there's something that you and I are connecting on. And I want to encourage you to continue. I've said this before, but I'm going to reiterate it because it's really important. Please have the courage. Know that whatever it is you want to do in this life, you can do it. And not only that, know that the generation behind us are looking up at you. You are responsible for the next generation, whether you want to admit it or not. They are watching. They are watching. They are listening. And they are ingesting everything that we do and we say. So when you walk in this planet and you step out and you're doing all the things that you want to do, living your wildest dreams, remember the next generation are behind us and we have to leave this planet in their care. So we all have to act responsibly and live in love. Mm. That's it. Well said. <laughs> well said. Kira Devine, how do we contact you? Okay. So, yes, uh, you can once again follow me on Instagram at Kira Devine, on Facebook, Kira Devine Music, on Twitter at Kira Devine Says, and very soon, if you follow me on Instagram and all of those pages I just said, Facebook, Twitter, you'll be seeing my announcements for when I launch my website. And then you can go there and see everything about me, what I'm doing, even when I'm going on tour and things of that nature. Obviously, live shows are on hold for a while, but 
nine times out of 10, about nine months out of the year, I'm on the road performing all over the globe. So uh, when those things start picking back up, I encourage you to check out my website, follow me at all my social media handles, at Kira Divine on Instagram, at Kira Divine Music on Facebook, at Kira Divine Says on Twitter. Also, if you like to dance, you can follow my Afro Soca page on Instagram where I share online classes at Afro Soca, A-F-R-O-S-O-C-A. And yes, stay tuned for more things coming out of the hatchet, you know, just more beautiful artistic projects. We are looking forward. Kira Devine, I cannot thank you enough for being on Planet 30 today. I really want to say thank you once again, Crispin, for having me on this amazing platform. You're doing work that needs to be shared and really tapping into people who are doing amazing things. So I just want to thank you for even inviting me to be a part of this. And um, thank you, Planet 30. Of course. <laughs> it's where it's where aspiration meets inspiration. That's right. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com.